Hey everybody out there in podcast land. Um, all the original designated drinkers fans, thanks for tuning in for another episode. Um, this episode we have Robin Murford and Eric Rosentreader. We were having a discussion about the service industry overall, even though I'm not a service industry professional as the guests are. I still, you know, see and partake and go out and hang out and everything and just kind of give my same layman terms and insight on the subject. Um, I, every once in a while, that's kind of good to have somebody on the outside looking in, kind of tell you what they think and see. And if you can have a real conversation like that, a lot of things can get fixed. So, like I said, we talk about just a lot of different things in the service industry. We made up a new term, toxic hospitality. Um, starts off with us having a Miller High Life and a Malort or a Chicago handshake, as some people like to call it. It kind of loosens up the mood and everybody gets going and gets talking. But the main thing I want you to take away is that, as in all jobs, professions, and everything, there needs to be some fixing. There needs to be some education. And that's exactly what this podcast episode is about. So please take the time, listen, and offer us any feedback that you can. You can always email us, um, send us a message, or you can comment right on the podcast itself. We read everything that we're sent, and we give all that information out in, in the podcast itself. So again, Hope you take the time to enjoy this episode, and if you do, cool. If you don't, let us know about that, too. Without further ado, here's the episode. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, this is Severin. And Ambrosia. And welcome back to another riveting Exciting, epic episode of the original Designated Drinkers. The podcast where we dive deep into drinking, one libation at a time. And please tell us who today's podcast is brought to us by. We've got Robin Murford. Is that how you say it, Murford? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is correct. I, I love how everybody's just so super first names. Like, just forget those last names. We don't Ooh, even need them. I know. I don't even know where they came from. <laughs> I do. It's, it's depressing. But we'll get into all the depressing shit in a little bit. In this episode. Um, so we also have here with us, I'm going to let you do the, his last name. I got to see it again. Eric. Eric. I, I have to Eric, see it. Rosen Treader. There Rosen it is. Treader. Yeah. I, I well, it's funny because we've all known each other so long. And it's like, how do you say yeah. your last name again? Because we're, we're just first name people. Does anybody know my last name? Yeah. Brosky. Well, I actually, last night at Misa's, uh, I had a guy who, the bartender, who took my card, and he came back and he said, are you really Joe Borowski, the cub? And I said, no, I'm not, but that's hilarious because this is the first time that I've ever gotten that question. And when he came out as, like, when he, he was, like, on the bill and it was a cub, and I was like, oh, my God, there's another Borowski in the wild? That never happens. I can't <laughs> believe this is the first time that I've ever gotten asked if Joe Borowski was a Are you related to all Borowskis? All of them. I mean, there are like 10 of us. So there's, maybe... there's only 200 people in this country with my last name, and I'm related to every single one of them. Oh, so you know? Okay. Yeah. For real? Yeah. Okay. It's not very common. <laughs> right. Um, 
So Robin, you've joined us today. Um, and can you tell us about why you chose our libation today? So um, I've listened to many of your conversations. Um, and I think what we're going to talk about today is reminds me of a, a uh, post-shift drink meeting where you get through a day and you sit around and you sit down at your own bar or preferably somebody else's. Um, and many of us, even though we work in fairly high-end beer, wine, and spirits at the end of the day, you just want a high life and a shot, you know. Uh, and it's just a, a basic unwinding, undemanding, uh, kind of equalizing thing because everybody will drink it and everything. Uh, I pick Malort as a shot, but it doesn't have to be Malort. Obviously, that's very Chicago particular. Um, a shot of any kind of whiskey works just as well. But I, uh, I asked you what you wanted to drink today, and I'm providing. Uh, is everybody in on a shot? Don't want to push. Chicago handshake. Give it to me. You're Absolutely. in? Oh, you're in? Absolutely. All right. Never push a libation on someone because we care about each other. So yeah, so we're doing Miller High Life and a shot of Malort. So cheers. Cheers. Cheers, cheers. Cheers. Mm. Let me correct that High Life. Oh, there it is. That's there a good go. sound bite right there. So I'm going to go on brand and talk a little bit about Miller High Life before we really dive into the conversation of our, our shift drink. Um, so we are, we do have cans. I, I was tasked with going to find Miller High Life today. And as the celiac, I had no idea where to buy Miller High Life, uh, which I know is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but all I can find was 16 ounce cans, uh, but it traditionally comes in a bottle. And I would like to tell you a little bit about that. How much do you know about the history? Either, anybody, does anybody know about Miller High Life? Why we drink it? Historically? Well, no, I don't know the whole history. I went to the brewery in Wisconsin and did a walkthrough. It was pretty cool, pretty awesome. Um, but I don't remember a ton from that day. I just remember I was there. So. Sounds about Milwaukee. <laughs> let you know. <laughs> so Miller High Life was first brewed in 1903 in Milwaukee, um, but now it's brewed all over the country. But yeah, it did start in Milwaukee. And I think a lot of things that we forget about in Chicago is that we do have a lot of things that we take advantage of that are uniquely Chicago. Uh, so Miller High Life was the flagship for Miller. Miller Lite came 30 years after Miller High Life mm -hmm. was actually made. Um, and it's, it's a traditional beer. Um, it does have a, a maltose in it, which is a corn syrup. Um, but the thing that I find most interesting in this research was that in 1968, they actually started using Galena hops. Galena hops are a descendant of Brewer's Gold hops. And Galena hops were actually uh, developed in order to make the beer light stable. Uh, because when they first launched the brand, they wanted a champagne-like uh, bottle. Uh, and it was clear. And so a problem that you run into with clear bottles is that you can get light strike. Uh, but this hop will actually help prevent skunking through its amino acids. Another thing about Miller High Life is we all know it's the champagne of beers. Uh, it is highly carbonated. And this is something that is unique to Miller High Life. Now, originally it was sold as a premium beer. Uh, Live in the High Life is where the whole campaign came from. Uh, but they decided around 1970 
they had a serious drop in sales and they couldn't figure out why they, they released their first batch uh, for new year's as a, a celebratory beer. And instead of sell, using it for only special occasions, they decided to go to a different market, which was a beer for the everyday working man, a beer to celebrate a good day's work. And that's when their campaign around the 1970s started, that it is an every person drinking beer. Uh, we find that most of the sales of Miller High Life are coming from restaurant industry. Uh, it is brewers, bartenders, everybody in this industry, Miller High Life is the way to go. And so I guess they did a good thing. Uh, in, in 2016, um, it was bought by, uh, Miller Company was bought by Molson Coors. Uh, and so Molson Coors, uh, their headquarters are actually in Chicago. So when they did that whole campaign in 2017, I don't know if you remember, mm -hmm. to actually put Miller High Life into champagne bottles. Yep. That was only Chicago. Really? Oh, I didn't know that was I didn't know I thought that. it was all over okay. the place. We, we don't realize how Midwestern we are, but we're Midwestern. Um, but some, some of the other brands for Miller, uh, Molson Coors, obviously Molson products, but you've got Blue Moon, Coors, Crispin, uh, you've got Killian's, Hams, Keystone, Wine & Kugel, Milwaukee's Best, Old English 800, uh, Pilsner Arkell, Red's Apple Ale, Sol Cerveza, Still Reserve, and Terrapin. Ooh, Still Reserve. You know what that is. Mm -hmm. What is it? I mean, do you know what, what, what the I've had it connotation no. Of still reserve is. Go for it. I kind of feel like I shouldn't even share this. Do it. But it's like a bad rumor um, or urban legend. <laughs> it's a crackhead beer, and it's what crackheads drink to keep their crack high going for longer. I thought it was. Well, no, old, the old English is malt liquor, right? Yeah, old English is malt liquor. Yeah. But still reserve 211. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. There it is. Well, that's all coming from Molson Coors. Uh, and so what we are drinking today is a mass-produced beer. Yes. Was it crafted initially to be something premium? Yes. And now here we are today having our shift drink with Malort. And if you need a refresher on Malort, it's episode one. <laughs> or any of the episodes. I'm pretty sure we're drinking Malort <laughs> in all of them. We talk about a lot about Malort. Right. So, Malort um, is our friend. Robin. You've been in the industry a long time. Can you tell us where you came from, what you're doing? How you got here? Uh, Uber, actually. I chose not to drive tonight. Ah, that's a smart responsible. Did the same thing. Um, yes. No, um, I have... <laughs> you fell into my joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I started in the restaurant industry with uh, working in coffee houses in high school and college. Um, where? In Chicago. Uh, I worked in several coffee houses that no longer exist course, uh, mostly in Lakeview, um, while well, I was going to UIC. Um, and I had always, for some reason, I'd always wanted to work in a bar. It was just something that sounded, uh, I grew up reading a lot of Henry Miller, I don't know, like <laughs> that whole sort of, you know, Scott Fitzgerald, like, um, and the, the culture of it was very appealing to me. I don't come, there's no restaurant background in my family. Um, they are all in sales, which figured later in my life. Um, but I got my first bar back job at 21. Um, in a pretty awful bar that no longer exists, thankfully. Uh, and from there, I, I never really left the industry. Um, when I left college, I ended up in sales, and I left the industry very briefly, but I always had a part-time hand in somewhere. Would take a, leave my 
Uh, I was in the mortgage business for years, but I would leave on a whim to go open, help somebody open a bar or get, work a couple shifts somewhere. Or uh, yeah, a couple times. Yeah. Uh, in my 20s, I also started to work in kitchens because I wanted to make less money. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Cheers to that. Oh, no. um, Here's the back of the house. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I did. Ev so eventually, I left uh, the mortgage industry when I was 27 to go to culinary school, um, and then I spent about 12 years in the back of the house doing everything from up to executive chef in a couple places in Chicago, uh, and then I recently stepped out of the back of the house a couple of years ago to go back to the front of the house. Um, now you can find me slinging drinks and whiskey at the Monkey's Paw in Lincoln Park. Great spot. Um, which is a good little whiskey I bar. I haven't been there. I have to check it out. Yeah. Um, so I have, I have a long and varied career in the hospitality industry. I've done everything from washing dishes to tending bar to being an executive chef. That's I've dope. run beverages programs. Um, I feel like it does give me some credibility to talk about the hospitality industry. Absolutely. You it thousand does. thousand percent have credibility. Yeah. So, I wanted our listeners um, to know. Yeah. Most most of my work has been done in Chicago with a brief stint in Southeast Asia. So. Okay. Even doper. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't summer in Southeast Asia? <laughs> well, it was a year and I didn't, I, yeah. <laughs> you know. I got some of the best bitters in my life when you came back. That was so much fun. Yeah. 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 Um, so we're friends, obviously. We share shift drinks together. Um, what are we talking about today and why are we talking about today? So having, I mean, there's a lot of things were exposed in the restaurant industry in the last couple of years, and I'm not going to dwell because everyone has a COVID story about the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. um, what your place opened and closed, you lost your job, you're, there's, everybody had a, a different and equally depressing experience. Um, but one of the things that has happened in the last couple of years is the, there has been more public awareness of how difficult an industry it is to survive in and work within. Mm -hmm. um, there is a culture of disrespect for people who work in restaurants on any level, um, which has always been there for sure. Mm -hmm. um, a couple articles were published in the last two years. Uh, the New York Times published an article in April of 2021 called What is Hospitality? The Current Answer Doesn't Work. And they sort of delved into the idea that people who are in this business are never treated with respect. Mm -hmm. um, I always got the, so what else do you do? Yeah, that's one thing. What, yeah. What's your real what job? Do, so what else do you do? Um, oh, okay. This has been my real job for 20 years. I make a really mm -hmm. decent living at it, mm -hmm. and I really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, you know, there's that sort of, that was sort of put out there a little bit more, and, me, and there were conversations were had that haven't been had, maybe ever in our industry, about how difficult it is to work in our industry. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to get into the, how customers treat, how guests treat people who work in restaurants, because I feel like that's been talked about a lot. Um, there's a couple other really mainstream sources. Food and Wine wrote an article about it in 2020 called The Customer Is Not Always Right. You know, um, Super true. Yeah. Sears brought that through. That's it. The Marshall Field Sears model. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what, that was my Which is Chicago. second yeah. job. It always makes me think about when Delta Airlines flipped it too, when they were just like, no, um, sorry. It was some like customer... Yeah. Yeah, I was just complaining and complaining to get their way. And they're like, okay, we'll go take your business elsewhere. And I remember when that story happened. And to see that be like, I love that. To like not reward somebody for complaining. Because mm -hmm. then the cool people, uh, especially in bars and restaurants, they see you rewarding the cool or 
the complainers. The yeah. yeah. You know, they'd be like, well, we're being cool. You don't get anything. That's some BS. Yeah. You know. So you started at Macy's? Or at no. Um, Marshall's. My, my second job ever was at um, Sears. And so yeah. you were you trained that the customer's always right? Absolutely. Um, you, yep, we were trained <laughs> pretty much. And it's kind of like the Nordstrom model now as well. Like they could bring you back. Um, I, I can't remember what brand they sold, but Craftsman, anything. They bring you back a Craftsman, anything. You take it back no matter what. They could bring you back a, I can't think of an off-brand name, uh, Jiu-Jitsu and say <laughs> this used to say craftsman but i used it so much now it says jujitsu and you still would have Non-smile to take it back okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay here so yeah the the customer is always right model that's what i learned when i first started my sales job and it's, it's, it's like gaming the system though. i mean like if they do that but like if your attitude like hey uh this is your policy can can i do this yeah, it's fine well see that's but if you're a jerk about it that's when things that's when well things i think kind of fall off. That's the thing, yeah. I think, unfortunately, that, I mean, it's sales, too, because, like, the, the model I'm talking about in the New York Times article, was into, that model was developed by Marshall Fields mm -hmm. in Chicago. The idea that, like, if you always treat people like the customer is right, you will always make money, you will always have their business. How's Marshall Fields doing in Chicago? Not well these days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, wow. So, anyway, but it's, uh, yeah, they didn't clearly. <laughs> Pervasive in our industry, the trickle-down is what happens, what it's created a culture that is super unstable for people who work in restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to maybe get into talking about a little bit of what culture is created um, and also then what can we do to change it? With that, uh, can I add one mini thing with a story to yeah. go on top of that? Um, I feel like just the service industry as a whole, um, not just, I don't want to limit and say what you're saying isn't what's up and not what we're here to talk about. But um, I'm just thinking service, like even people who drive and deliver the stuff to you food wise and things like that, just service period. Because shout out to delivery drivers. Yeah. I saw, their jobs suck. They're the saints. I saw a story today on um, one of the social medias where a guy was a DoorDash or Uber Eats. He was a delivery driver, brought some food. The person got the food and said they didn't get the food, so they would get the food for free. And he said, you just got me. He came back into the place recording. He said, you just got me fired from my job. I need your corporate number so I can get you fired from your job because you got your burrito. You got your $10 yeah. burrito. He's like, who raised you mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to just lie and say that you didn't get something just so you get it for free? And it just made me think of the service industry as a whole. Some someone brought you food, and I mean, even on the apps, you can choose to tip them. You can choose yeah. to not tip them. You can tip them more. You can tip them less. Whatever you you know, that's up to you and how you feel on the inside. But for you to get something and say you didn't get it just so that you get it for free is really not what's up. But it's it, sorry. It goes. I think that that goes on so many levels, and I think one of the things that's happened in the service industry. I mean, I can speak to restaurants because that's what I know best. But in general, yeah, whether you're a retail worker, a delivery driver, first responder, first responder, it's all. Well, I mean, it's all. Um, but there's a and Eric and I have talked about this often. There's a concept of hospitality. Mm -hmm. um, the you can't quantify it. You, you can't define it. That's no. actually the first yeah. question that I have. For, 
in in my research for this episode is um, what is hospitality? You know, it makes uh, you know. Any, let's get four that, different opinions, four different definitions. Um, Eric, you're up. <laughs> how to make any experience better, uh, and how to make every drink and every meal taste better. If, if you ask the person you're serving how their day is going, how are you today? I'm a big fan of simple manners. Please and thank you. Respect. Um, but also knowing when to close the door on a conversation. That sort of thing. Um, It it happens. Um, We've all, if you're in the service industry or you're dealing with people in general, it happens all the time. So please and thank you, respect, good manners. That means everything. That's hospitality for you, is manners. For me, um, people are in the hospitality industry. Theoretically, you could do that at home for a lot cheaper. So providing the experience to, uh, for a long time, millennials were pegged as being experientially driven. Um, I think that's bullshit. I always thought they don't that want to talk to anybody. Bullshit. If you're leaving <laughs> the house for something, you're for that experience of that thing that you're leaving the house for. Good manners and the experience. Now, I have a quick question. You said experience driven. What does experience driven mean? Like you're talking about the experience of going to a restaurant or a bar. Or the experience of just being out in the world as a person? Both. I, I think it's totally both. Um, mm-hmm. The experience of uh, whether you're traveling uh, to do something, whether you're going to Scotland or going to, you know, the south side of Chicago for something. Like, it's all like you're, you're, you're leaving your comfort zone to do something of an unknown quotient uh, and an unknown experience, too. So just let yourself go in that. It's Let yourself go in the fantasy of your own life. Of being buried by debt, specifically school debt, and you have to justify doing anything. Really, I think is where that. Kind I don't of have a degree, so I don't have. Born that. with that, good for you. But, but also, <laughs> I also think it's it's people choosing experience over material. You know, not acquisition sure. of possessions sure. necessarily. Like I don't have to. I don't drive the nicest car in the world, but I get to travel overseas. Or I don't. You know, I don't have a huge house, but I get to go go to these restaurants and eat this food or go, you know, um, it's, I think it's a, and that is definitely something that, you know, at, at my generation is not, is, was slightly known for choosing, but the current generation that's eating and drinking and spending money is way more known for choosing, I think. So newer generation is choosing, like you said, experiences. Over possessions. Over possessions. Okay. I, I, I get it a little bit better. I get it a little but bit But to this more. generation, to the generation that's out there documenting their experience, those that documentation of their experience in some ways are seen as possessions. The proof Ooh. thing. The proof thing. Like yeah. Cave oh, that's a good shift drink, guys. Cave yeah. theory. Yeah. No, that's true, though. <laughs> I like that. That's, that's, I'm, I'm yeah. with that. It, it's, different so, t- it's different types of currency for different times. You know, like, yeah, we, we all came up in a... I don't want to say older generation, but mm-hmm. like I remember um, when Spotify started coming around, I would bring records to the bar that I knew was weren't on Spotify yet mm-hmm. because I wanted people to ask me like, "Hey, you're killing it with these 45s. Mm-hmm. What is this?" I'm like, "Great, now we're engaging. Now I got you." Mm-hmm. It's getting that engagement too, mm-hmm. uh, a healthy engagement. Okay. Um, um, what What's hospitality for you, Robin? Uh, I agree with Eric in terms of um, the the first bar job I ever had, the owner would sit us down in a staff meeting and say, everybody in this room could be at home on their couch with a six pack. We have to give them a reason to pay way more for that six pack and be in our room. Mm-hmm. 
I think that is part of it. Uh, the other part of hospitality is the, the root of the word comes from hospice. And before hospice meant what it does today, it literally meant a safe space that you could show up somewhere as a traveler, friend or enemy, didn't matter in a territory, and be taken care of. Um, and it goes back to like Roman times. Mm -hmm. um, but it also meant a contract. If you were in enemy territory, while well, you were being taken care of, you weren't going to kill the people that were taking care of you. Right. So to me, it's something that works both ways. I'm, gonna, I'm here to give you the best of what I know, whether it's the best food I can cook, the best cocktails I can make, the best service I can give you, which is, an, I agree with you, it's a non-quantifiable thing. Like, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it's something that works. But you will also behave in a way that isn't, you know, that is respectful, that is, if you don't appreciate it, I don't, you know, keep it to yourself, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's something that's been very much, I feel like, violated these days. But um, providing somebody with, with, a, with a, a safe space, a place where they can be, where they can enjoy the experience. Whatever they came yeah. for. Well, before we get there, Ambrosia, what, what about your definition of hospitality? Before we get to the because I do want to talk about what they're doing, what people are doing wrong. So before we get to that part. I have been presented with this question today, which is obnoxious to me that I think I've been doing this for not quite as long as both of you, but um, just about. I've never actually asked myself this question. What is hospitality? And I think that I have an unhealthy relationship with it. I think that... For me, hospitality has always been giving somebody else something that I was never given, which was being taken care of. And I can't be alone in feeling yeah. that I have to I have to choose what somebody's eating tonight. I'm gonna wash your dishes, I'm gonna choose what you're eating. All of the hard parts about being mm -hmm. an adult that all of us hate. I'm going to pick those for you. And I, I am now questioning <laughs> how much I, I give myself to that because I think that's what I want other people to do. So I guess for me, hospitality is the things that I wish that I had somebody to do for me. Oh, I'm kind of with that. Okay. Wash my dishes, pick my drinks, pick my food, uh, take care of me. But I wish they, I had but, that for myself. But do they pick it for you? I have chosen so many people's meals and their pairings with it. It's my job. But that's it's, because, what, is, it, is it your job or are you making it your job? Right? But that's, but that's, that's the, the question. That's the question. That's yeah. The but I, I agree with you. And this is if briefly, um, when I was opening my first restaurant and all I did was work 1,000 hours a week, I used to go to a neighborhood bistro uh, when I had a chance. And it wasn't, the food was good, but it wasn't amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was always reliable, but there was a server who worked there who I'd known, I'd been going there for years and he would take one look at me and he'd be like, listen, go sit over there. I don't even like Chardonnay, but I got an unoaked French one tonight. I'm just going to pour you a glass and you're getting the muscles cause they're fresh. And like, and I would walk out of there feeling like a million bucks mm -hmm. cause I didn't have to decide. He would just take care of me. Yeah. And it was the best feeling in the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm still friends with him. He's, he's still been, he's been bouncing around the city in this business for, you know, 30 years. And it was just what he did, not only kept me coming back to a place always, mm -hmm. but I walked out of there feeling like, oh, okay, I can go back and do what I do now. Like, I just feel like somebody took care of me. I didn't have to decide anything. 
I feel like I could relax in the room, you know, and it's like I said, there, you're, it, it is, some of it is intangible, but it was just so perfect. Like that's, that makes a ton of sense. Even to your definition, that makes all of the sense in the world. Um, he literally took care of you. He said, I yeah. know you don't like this, but, but that's something. Try this anyway. I think that especially those of us who spend a lot of time taking other care, taking care of people, and like this is what we've chosen to do for a living. When somebody else does it for you, you're like, oh yeah, that's why. This is why. Like yeah. this is why we do it. Yeah. Because I know a lot of times I go out and and I ask for suggestions. Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And everybody's um, palate, taste palate isn't the same and what they like isn't the same. And they'll say, well, I like this because of this and I like that because of that. Sometimes I take their suggestions. Sometimes I pretty much already got my mind made up and I know what I'm going to get. But then if I get it and it's terrible, the, the only thing, and I eat, even if it's terrible, I still eat or drink it. I'm just mad at myself. But <laughs> I, I, I can blame them, like, in the back of my head or as a joke, like, you told me this was good. This tasted like crap. And then they like, oh, we take it off the bill. No, I ate it. You don't have to take it off the <laughs> right. bill. But um, you, that's just, that's why I was asking, really, is it your job to pick things for people? So Sometimes. Sometimes it is. Yeah. yeah. So what's hospitality for you, Seth? Um, hospitality to me, I didn't know the hospice um, part of it, which again makes sense. But I just thought of how I would treat someone if they came to my home. So if somebody came over my house, came over my crib, um, how I would treat them. Now we're all deeply nodding. <laughs> all of the hospitals, yeah, all yeah, of all these, of we are all deeply nodding. But <laughs> my, yeah. my, being honest, I, I, and this is just me, but my version of hospitality, the first time you come over, yes, you're a guest. You know, I do the old Bible times, wash your feet, take your clothes, hang it up, all <laughs> that other fun stuff. Next time you come over, you, you home. There's the fridge. So, yeah, yeah there's the yourself. fridge. Go get what you want. <laughs> um, especially if you're invited back for a second time. I know you're not going to eat me out of house and home. I know you're going to bring something and everything else. Just a little baby bit. I want to ask you that question about returning, all you three, about returning customers to a place because y'all you guys not at the same way yeah hospitality first time you come through i'm gonna take care of you second time you come through hey bathroom over there you already know where it's at so uh Does that the other night no 100 the other night uh so i guest bartend at places I, I help out bars um and like i always thought that like oh i've made it if i'm behind this bar mm -hmm. mm -mm. the other night I was at a bar down the street and I looked at the bartender. Somebody was being ridiculous outside uh, and I was fixing the situation. And I looked at the bartender and I said, hey, I need X, Y, and Z to rectify the situation that's happening outside. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know where stuff is, find it. You can use anything that you want, <laughs> just make it happen. Yeah. Changing the toilet paper. Like anything of that, like I was like, oh, I've made it. I am, I <laughs> now know that I am respected in this home, which yeah. I, I hate the everyone's a guest in your own home metaphor, which we can get into. But the fact that the bartender was like, no, go ahead and do whatever you want. Go ahead and go into our back room. Do it, like fix it. You're taking care of that while I'm taking care of this. Up. Like, oh, 
I'm officially a regular. Let me, let me throw in one more thing, and then we uh, throw it back to our guests. Um, so I've been to your home plenty of times. We are doing the podcast today in your home, and I know where things are. And even though you would tell me that I'm not a guest anymore, I still ask you, can I go get something? Can I do this? And I did in this situation. Absolutely. And so to speak to Robin's thing, let's get into what you think customers can do to make themselves more gracious. Well, I... Is it a better word? I mean, (laughs) gracious is a good word, for sure. Um, Expressing gratitude for what we give them would be a good... I, and I want to say two things real quick. One, I don't think that all customers are awful by any stretch, especially no, in the no, last no. couple of years. We've, there are people who have like come out of the woodwork to keep places going to it's help. No all to anything. Um, yeah. I do think I have issues with the guest in your home metaphor because, like you said, the first time you come to my house, I will treat you. Yeah. You know, um, a restaurant should be every time you come to my house, I'm going to treat you like it's your first time there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a different, you know, but I also expect you to behave. In a certain mm-hmm. way. Um, I have, and I know we all have, dealt with people in a service setting who have spoken to us in ways that I would never allow a guest in my home to speak to me. Mm-hmm. They, I, they'd be, I would boot them, you know, if not f- physically out the door of my yeah. home, um, which is one of the things that makes our job so challenging. And I think one of the places our business has gotten off track. Um, but it, so that's, I think that it's a, it's a good and bad metaphor, like. Of course, guests in the home, and when somebody says to me, I'm like, yeah, but he just spoke to me in a way that I wouldn't let it. my mom talk to me in my own house, you know? Um, so I think that's sort of a, a sticking point. I'm with that. Well, we, and we're at a point, too, that we have so much information that we can get about anything that we do before we do it, and it's our jobs to manage that expectation and perform on the experience that... People would uh, dealt with this a fair amount that you know, somebody come in on a Friday night or something like that. I'm making a cocktail and I would see somebody like hold their phone up at me and be like, "Yo, I'm not cool with that. I don't know who you are. I don't want you recording me, like that sort of thing." But engaging that and disarming the situations where you're actually involving them with you, be like, "Cool, like you think this is this because you read it somewhere, but this is that unquantifiable thing." that like no I'm going to talk to you like a person because you are a person you're not a yelper or anything like that and engaging that and not being afraid to kick back on it Um, I had an experience that uh, towards the end of my bartending career that somebody came in on a Friday night I was by myself and they ordered a Sazerac I'm like too deep at the bar by myself right Sazerac Uh, you can't cheat on a Sazerac like, you have to do it right. I, I got taught how to make them in a very proud tradition. And I'm like, okay, so do you have a, do you have a whiskey preference? Uh, blah, blah, blah. And the person, the guest was like, oh, well, I usually have it at this place. Like, okay, I'm not familiar with their menu, but I want to make it how, they, how I was taught how to make it at Lafitte's in New Orleans. And here you go. And I'm sweating immediately. I'm like, I'm immediately thinking of the 35 beers and shots I could throw out at these people. Served to the guest, maintained my composure. Like, here you go. The person took a sip and did like the backhand tap across the bar. I can't drink this. This is terrible. I didn't taste the cocktail because I'm not a pretentious asshole. But I'm like, it was a nine. I could tell by stirring it. I'm like, this is a nine. 
You've been doing it long enough. You yeah. Know. Yeah. You can tell by looking at it. It's you like can. cooking. You don't need to taste what you're cooking. You can tell when it's done. Mm -hmm. And served it. I'm like, okay, well, do you want me to try again? Did you want me to try with a different whiskey? And I'm trying to recover, recover, recover. And I'm sweating. I'm already a sweaty big person anyway. Well, I just can't do this. Blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, so person wasn't I'm like, well, okay, so we're done here. Let me know if you want something, but we're done here. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be talked to like this. Um, let me know if you need anything else or if you calm down a little bit. Person left, bought everybody a shot uh, at the bar and they were like, hooray. And I'm like, great. I got the momentum back and a couple of my regulars at there like, why'd you do that? I'm like, cause that person's a pain in the ass and I didn't want you to see me reward them. Thank you all for being cool. It's yeah. Friday night in Chicago. Let's go. And it, that was the thing. That was the hospit the hospitality thing. And I was furious. But you can't let that derail you. I had four hours left on my well, shift. Can't, I can't yes. let one person ruin Easy it. Easy to let but, that derail you. Because but you touched on something with that abusive culture. Um, we're, it's, I mean, you're in the industry. It's Stockholm Syndrome all day. Well, and this this is sort of, I, this is kind of, I think, where we're, what we're leading into is that the, uh, well, we're not talking about, I mean, Individual customers are sometimes awful and sometimes wonderful, but what has been created with the customer is always right syndrome and the idea is that restaurants live under a culture of fear, like fear of loss of income, um, you know, you can directly related to what your tips are going to be, that's going to be your income for that day. Um, whether you're going to stay open if people don't keep coming back. Um, Briefly mentioning that restaurants are terrible business models in the first place. If you would like to not make money, open a restaurant. Um, I've seen reputable good places run at something like a five to ten percent profit margin. If you are in, if you are like a business person at all, you're not like, yeah, that's a great way to make money in a very unstable business with fluctuating costs. And um, so we're so we're sitting in this this pressure cooker um, that has to find a way to justify itself. Let me ask a question, please, um, as a lay person. And I think I already have an answer, but I'd like to hear it from one of you guys. So this person came in and ordered a Sazerac. Um, Cedar Bar is crowded. I'm going to tell you the 100% honest to God truth. I don't know what all goes into making a certain drink. So if I see a drink on the menu, I don't think I'm doing anything out of the ordinary. I've heard Ambrosia say this before. Somebody came in and ordered a such such and so and so. I don't know that that's a no, difficult this, thing to do. And that was the point is that I had to internalize that stress. Okay. Yeah. Like, all right, this person might not know. Uh huh. I'm like, because I'm telling you, I don't know. <laughs> well, but also, but a bar, like, context or, or clues. A restaurant, like, I mean, context clues. Are, but we don't want to be gatekeepers. This well, adds I, to the stress. I see right. everything no, on there. Okay, but, but, but I'm thinking. I'm sorry. Stress, the stress is part of the gig, though. This person might not have known. I cannot assume anything about this person's knowledge. Right. There you go. You can't assume anything about no, the person. No, that's true. And, we never and if they do. know it or not. And you guys do a great job of not person, saying anything. This person wants me to do this. But I wouldn't even, if I knew it was a difficult thing to ask you for that, I wouldn't ask you for that. But at the same time, I don't know who to blame, who to talk to, who to say something to. But if it's on the menu, shouldn't it be fair game? Uh, well, it wasn't on a menu at all. Okay. So just, this is there you go. a it's traditional whiskey cocktail. There, we there didn't you have go. a menu. Um, and this person, do you have a menu? I'm like, no, we don't. But 
let me know what you, what you want. Okay. And if it, it, that's that an entirely the, different the story. The thing is that like I saw it as my mistake because I could have said to this customer that like, hey, this is a time-consuming cocktail. Did you want something a little quicker? Uh, I'm kind of packed. It's kind of by myself, but that would be showing a trust of my underbelly. That would be showing maybe like right. I can't handle that request, There's, and I wanted to. So that's where the kind of cycle comes in. Now, like, yeah, of course, I wanted this person to have the best experience possible. I think. And then, like, once the once that attitude got brought out, and the person was discourteous to me for trying my best, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and take this from you. Yeah, I'm not gonna I can't. I can't tell this person to go yeah. f themselves. Yeah, but, but I can politely. You know, I can, I can be that. politely indifferent to their expectations after a while too. Well, and if the if the experience had gone the other way, and somebody had said, "Thank you so much for taking the time to make me a Sazerac," I can clearly see that you're busy. It would be sure. a totally different story. Sure. And this know. was right when the whiskey boom was happening, so they probably saw it on some stupid show and just said, "I think I need this <laughs> here." But right. it, and it, it, true. It, overnight, we saw the the go to drink from being a Cosmo, which is kind of back, which is upsetting and fantastic i love that. um totally fine but okay. overnight because make of customer. the whiskey boom and because true. of mad men all of a sudden the old-fashioned was well, like, she, the yeah. go-to cocktail okay but, do you have a whiskey preference well okay if, you, if you're a professional bartender you can't make a solid old-fashioned in under a minute well that's with, with the well whiskey i mean that's like getting down on us um of course, but, that's, but, that's but, what we but do but best also, is we get down on yeah. ourselves yeah, exactly <laughs> well uh, right. something that i think that brings really true uh is something that robin had said uh and something that was in my notes and research for this was safe spaces make us work harder true that is true can you explain that to me we want to create a space that everyone can come into and feel good about it no matter what your day was we don't know where you're coming at we don't know if you had to euthanize a pet we don't know if you had to move your anything. Any, right. You don't know anything. Yeah. Right. And when we we put that pressure on ourselves of having this quote unquote safe space, and I think that that makes us work even harder. I agree. Um, I- one. So my career and what I do, and I have dove into it both feet in face first in all the way in i'm just living in this space of taking care of people for the rest of my life which is fine which is cool but what i had (laughs) it's all good shout out to you but what i had to learn is that you have to make room for yourself you can't take care of anybody else if you're not okay the airplane hey the airplane about to crash these masks gonna come down Put the mask on yourself first, then help your mm-hmm. 90-year-old mother next to you or your five-year-old kid on the other side of you. You can't help anyone else if you can't help yourself first. And that's what I would preach to anybody that came into your industry out the gate. And that's just from experience of taking care of citizens that that, that didn't call me every name other than the child of God. So I'm just saying. That's- that was after every shift behind the bar. We would sit there uh, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning sometimes. We do our cleanup. We get our job done. And if I never see a sunrise in Chicago again, I will not be upset about that. Yeah, but it was that was our safe place. There'd be however many people were working that night. And it was a safe place that we could sit there and just let it out. And your and, safe place is with you. And knowing when you. to shut it off, too. 
Yeah, yeah. because once you walk out the door, that's it. And yeah. it's the, but you're safe with, with 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 uh, amongst yourselves. But your safe place needs to be. I, I don't want to say it needs to be like I'm telling you what to do. I'm just saying your safe place has to be in a place where you can find it and go to it and access it. Which well, is sure, happening we, without the self-medication, but I want to hear yeah. what Rodham has to what say. What I was going to say is I don't, I mean, yes, there is something about the end of a shift for sure. Like, I don't think that restaurants are terribly safe places to work. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't no, either. That, or restaurants or bars or, or in this, or we'll just say service industry. It's in a blue collar job. Yeah. They're not terribly safe places to work. They're not necessarily physically safe places to work. No. And they're Mentally, definitely not emotionally safe yeah, places no. to work. Um, the the culture that derives from taking care of people, from spending eight hours of your day, putting everybody else's needs in front of your own. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we've all worked a shift where you don't go to the bathroom because you don't have time. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you which if you say it out loud, is like stupid. You get excited like, you when know. you're like, oh, I can go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this I've is, been holding it this for is four a, hours. Right, this is a basic human right, <laughs> to, like, you know, or a basic human need. Like, um, But I, what, I think that the that culture that we've created around that, like, I will work harder than anybody else. I will make this happen. This is, it's my, not my duty, but like my sacred, you know, no, like, I think that was a good um, word. Your duty, because I, that's I'm looking what you for something it. a little stronger, and I don't have it at the tip of my tongue. I guess I, to me, it's no um, stronger word than duty. Those are the words that are <clears> in my <throat> academy that we teach our students: duty, pride, tradition, honor. I feel like the way that you guys approach your job in the service industry, in the hospitality industry, is that same thing. But baby, but there are people. <laughs> That don't talk about baby it. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm not R. Kelly. They, they, no. they don't. Ah, ooh, <laughs> right. Chicago, tougher shots. I'm just saying, there are people that don't approach it as <laughs> diligently <laughs> as you guys do. That's, Your that's composure all. after that hilarious comment is impressive, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Uh, oh, I yeah. No, I love him. <laughs> uh, well, that's the thing, too, is like, we. To me, the, I, where I came up, and I didn't even know it until I started coming up in the place, was uh, it was it was an apprenticeship, you know, and uh, I was in my late twenties uh, playing soccer at Douglas Park, and I tore my ACL playing playing on AstroTurf. Yeah, I went to work that night. Ooh. I didn't know I tore my ACL because I didn't have did. I didn't have yeah. insurance mm. like that sort of thing. Whereas mm. you you look at us and our service industry, it's getting better. It's gotten a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to USBG uh, for getting me on their insurance back in the day. But if you can't walk, you can't work. To me, that's industrial revolution working mm-hmm. conditions. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah, but it had to be done, and I didn't think it's easy to comment about it and look back at it now outside of that position. But when I was there, I'm like, shit, I got rent to pay. Yeah. It was a good night at the bar. I was bar backing, like carrying cases of beer up and down three stairs with what I now know is oh. a torn ACL. Oh. It was hell. There's but a- it's what had to be done. Well, and I thought it was like, maybe my boss will appreciate that. And he did. But he didn't know how much pain I was in because I didn't show that. We're showmen. We're, it's, it's, we're being on stage. We're getting it done. And coming up in the trades definitely helped me that. And it's a tough industry. Because like if you if you fuck up, you should be hit on the back of the head and say, "Don't do that again, stupid." Because that's how I came up. Should everybody have to face that? Of course not. 
but it's a tough gig. And sometimes we forget that because we have these people in our industry because we're always being watched and we're always characterizing ourselves and projecting these images of what we think we're doing via our own personal media lens that like, no, it's a gig. Get out there and do it. You have a, you have to get a statement. Cause I got a question. Uh, yeah. Something in my notes is literally access to health insurance. It's getting better. I think, but I think that's part but we of. We can't all get it because then it's socialism, which is well, what but, them pesky Dems want, <laughs> yeah. according well, to certain but, news but outlets. So something that I was researching during this, because because I I was really looking at are European servers happier? God, than U.S. servers have to be. I should have <laughs> asked my question before you, oh. because that that was my question. We're I, on the same I hear way. and read of what people get in different places in the world. And I mean, even with the um, the machine that you bring up and you just say, here's the machine, put your card in right there instead of you giving your card and you got to trust the server mm-hmm. to do whatever they're supposed to do, which I've never had a problem there. I didn't have problems in other places, but I've never had a server problem still in my stuff. I guess I don't look like I got enough money. But anyway, um, just from that case to insurance insurance um it's another few issues that europe they pay their um employees a regular wage as opposed to mm-hmm. the u.s wage and then you make it up on tips and everything Which is all else. over the place we have no regulations well that's, so, so let's let's the, let's go let's go there with what yeah, i mean yeah. i mean let's so go right it was to, something that i didn't know if you wanted to touch on uh but i have hell yeah like 70 percent of my chat. research is um, on tipping well, well let's let's talk about tipping let's let's talk about tipping for a minute because right. it's one of the it's one of the things that makes our industry like i mean tipping was rooted in slavery yes feudalism yeah it rooted in feudalism and specifically in the u.s as slaves were freed they didn't want to pay them a living wage so they it's that's where t- change that's where tipping comes from in the u.s which is kind of a gross start Mm-hmm. If you really think about it, and it's classist um, as fuck. It's classist as fuck. It's elitist. However, it's slowly. I mean, there are some places in the restaurant business that are not using but it as so a norm. Taught. Well, well, hold on. But that's what. And you're, that was my other question. It's you're taught to. You're taught tipping is tipping is a is part of our culture for better or worse. Yes. However, it's not a fair way to expect people to make a living. No, not at all. Not I, at all. I, I, right. you're, Even when the, the U.S., you look at the. Um, I and I see, bro, you said, like, what? My first I'm job. And ready whenever you are. My yeah. first job, minimum wage was, I think, five, four, three seventy-five, yeah. whatever. But if you work in the service industry, it's two and some change, mm-hmm. and you're supposed mm-hmm. to make yeah. it up. Yeah. So, so they even wrote it into, well, we know the Constitution. Yeah. But, but let's, I mean, let's briefly note, too, that tipping is contingent upon your gender, mm-hmm. your appearance, your, your, your age. I mean, every, every... Every prejudice that somebody could possibly have anywhere yep. goes into how much you're going to make for doing your job. Yep. Today yep. I listened to a podcast uh, from a, a a person that clouts. Uh, was that horribly offensive uh, philosopher slash psychologist Freud? Sigmund Freud. <laughs> Which one? He quotes <laughs> yeah, all of them. Um, yeah, so he quotes Sigmund field. Freud in talking about how to do tips and training for service industry on how you can make more tips. And how you can talk. There was an example of a person who uh, their venue had a lot of families. And what they would do to make more tips with the families is that they would wear a crayon behind their ear while they were servicing them. But, but 
Can you be mad at the person for doing what they're? Oh no! I mean, the whole conversation to today, like what we're getting down to, and with all this research, it's going to come down to the root to the problem, and the root of the problem is, is that it's bigger than us. Well, uh, and we're into that. Right, yeah, be, but that it, shouldn't be the case. That's that's it. It, it shouldn't, and that's. But it is. But it is. It is. It's abolitionist. It's it's uh, destroying the system. I've got guillotines that I'm building in the backyard. It's, yeah. But but until well, also, then. Which, we have to talk about how we can safely so get there together. Let's let's stay on tipping for a second and talk about what, what tipping creates. It creates instability in your income, mm-hmm. um, and it's you could make a bunch of money one night and no money the next night. Right. It creates competition, absolutely, in an environment that's already unstable. Yep. Or unstable. It's there's kind of a Lord of the Flies thing going on in every restaurant. It's it, harassment, misogyny, yeah. all these things come and to play. And for an entry level position, which is what we're seen as, is entry level. If it's an entry level position, you can't expect an entry level position to know how to manage money over the year. True. Us but, veterans know. Yeah. To I, to to watch a ride the waves. Sure, but yeah. we're also we're also not looking at a Monet for the first time. We're not nose to the glass on this situation. That's what I'm saying. Know, knowing people that, yeah, they'll go make. Uh, I knew people that would work Cubs games and make a thousand dollars a shift, no and then go spend what, it at because the they cubby. were good. Because they were good looking people that would flaunt that a little bit, and like that's cool if that's what you want to do. But as somebody who's techni- as technically driven as we are and knowledge driven as we are, well, and that- we kind of have to grin and bear it, and we will do so. But like, really? Let but me, I, like, well, you need, was, Robin. Let no, me sorry. let me hear from you because I have I still have my one question sitting inside. Well, what I was going to say is that I mean that we can all I think agree that tipping is archaic. It's not a. It's a. It's a. The roots are gross. Yep. The roots are. Um, but I and I, I keep coming back to what it creates in a workplace because this is sort of where we're trying to get to. It creates a culture where people live in fear all the time. Mm-hmm. You live in fear that you're not going to make enough money. You live in fear mm-hmm. that you're going to lose a table. Um, you live in fear that you're going to get fired because you're not bringing in enough money. You, mm-hmm. I mean, there's the, the and that is not any way to run a business or to make a living. Um, what Eric just said briefly, like I'm not your. I've never been your typical like bubbly. You know bartender behind the bar but my, my knowledge is really good and I love what I do so like there are workarounds to it but it should I should never be worried about losing my shift to a younger person or to a you know I, I don't know to can to can anybody the, can period. the argument can the argument made of places that develop apprenticeships um, there was sure. coming up at one of the best whiskey bars on the planet I was week to week month to month on rent uh, luckily my roommate was my best friend that I've known since high school and I'm like, you know, can you let me float? And sometimes it would happen. But sure. if you stick to it and you make it through it. Which is, are... that's classist. But I want to hear, I want to hear Severin's yeah. question. I know in my job, a lot of stuff is taught and passed on. Um, like whether it's toxic or not, it's taught and passed on. And we are in a position, my job, or we're in a position where we can't strike, we can't do nothing, we can't make nothing happen. We just got to ask and beg and say, hey, can you please get this? Fine. But you guys, as you've seen, I'm sorry to take it back to the pandemic, and I know a lot of places got cut and everything, but your, your industry runs a huge portion of experiences and life. Is there any way to band 
together entirely and say, hey, I mean, some people are going to take an L. That's just the way it goes. But seen a lot of we that. can't keep we, we already been here over these past mm-hmm. couple of years. We can't we can't keep dealing with this the same way we're dealing with this and not have nothing happen. Is there any is there any out? Is there any solution? Is there any way to make anything happen? Is there any bill to pass yes. or push can, along? Can I put a pin in that? Can we go back to your statement about being uh, classes? Because I have a problem with that. Um, yes. Can we put a pin on the solution? Because we'll get there. And I think this is going to be a two-part episode. No, we already talked about that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, so I want to go back because I do want to touch on the solution. So write down now 55-44. We're going to edit this out. Let's talk a little bit more. And then let's break and let's move on. The next part would be like big solution based. Is that good with you guys? Yeah, yeah. cool. Okay. We still got problem wise that we want to talk about. I, the, only, the only thing I would like to put in there too is that we, I know we're kind of focused on the tipping, but it's a culture as a whole. Like, we find you know, we can I'm, I'm back in the I'm house. Go back that, in the tip. Like, but also like culture as a whole. Like, there's yeah. a, you know, part of that is like line cooks and tipping like, might you know. be the place All right, let's of get, the break. Yeah. Let's get a it's, 20 second break. We're, Can we just like break? No. Okay. Unless y'all want to break. Y'all want to break break? Mm. Let's get some fresh air. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Don't be talking outside. Nope. Don't lose contact. We know. <laughs> we'll just, Shit. Sorry. Just I do want to come back to your class. So just to top on... Jump on the tipping. Jump on the tipping. Um, so just to go back to the tipping conversation quickly. Um, so... There are, there is a minimum from federal about minimum tipped wage. And for those of you out there in podcast land that do not know that tipped individuals have a different minimum wage than everyone else, uh, there is a, a federal mandate that is $7.25 currently in 2020 that that is the minimum wage for a tipped employee. Now, with that said, that is way below the national federal mandated minimum wage. And what they justify it with is that you can make up to get to a minimum wage after tips. And on top of that, you got to file your taxes different too. Mm-hmm. Yes, which yeah. is not an not approachable easy. thing. Not easy to do. Yeah. No. Uh, but so there are 13 states that do not have a makeup tip out to minimum wage. We're looking at Alabama, Mississippi. We're looking at North Carolina. We're looking at states that do not care if your minimum tipped wage gets made up by tips. Now, with that said, in the state of Illinois, which is where we are, and I feel blessed about it every day, 720 is the minimum tipped wage right now. They require employers to show that they are making at least $13 an hour right now, and next year it'll go up to $14 an hour. Okay. But there are 13 states in this union that do not require any tipped employee to make a minimum wage, and we all know that minimum wage does not actually provide for minimum benefits a living wage a living wage exactly yeah. 
that's the point that I really wanted to touch on is that we are living in fear that if we don't show a smile, that if we don't bend over backwards, if we don't wipe your asshole, that we could potentially not make rent. Not the hole. Yeah. No, the, 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 the brown star, the whole hole. How about just the pack? The whole dirt button. <laughs> we will we will <laughs> make sure that the dirt button is completely bedayed so, in shout order to, to make shout a out to living Pat Oswald for that. wage. I can't, I can't claim yeah. that slang. That's <laughs> Pat Oswald. So, so now we're looking at working in a situation where, and we haven't even touched on the fact that the people who actually make your food are massively underpaid for what their skill set needs to be. And there are laws in different states, which I was researching today, that don't allow tip pooling to go to on. To, to, to workers that are working like an untipped wage. Yeah. Illinois has that. Illinois and Chicago have that law on the books. Um, however, if you agree, if everyone who works in the restaurant agrees to that kind of tip pool and it's in writing, like when you get hired, you, you understand that a portion of tips will go to the back of the house, mm-hmm. then it's allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's still not what's up because like we were talking about people just kind of not being cool. What if one of the servers is not cool? And we're like, Oh, I made, so oh, we made 10 bucks. <clears> we get like into, well, tip. now, now everything is on credit cards. So that does eliminate some of that. Cause okay. what it's very much, it's, it's easier to track what people make period. Well, you were an admirable person. And I thank you for it. Cause you had, you had my No, for real. Like one, but now you're talking about another part of dissension. Like you've got, if you're good at your job and you work in a place where tips are and where tips are substantial, you're making four times as much as the person making the food. Right. Yeah. And that inequity creates another division, another more division. instability, yeah. more insecurity, more fear in the whole culture. Because well, I feel like I either tip up or tip down and layperson speaking again. I really do like a lot of times the servers are really good. They come out, they smile, they do everything they're supposed to do. You know, I'm going to tip them to according sometimes they stink um and when they do stink i i, I still don't bomb on <clears throat> but to me 15 percent is just not that that shows my your rarity can i can i ask you a question as somebody who is not in the service or not in the restaurant industry sure if your food is bad but your service is good no it's not the less? service fault I'm sorry. You're a rarity. I skipped You're a ra- your question. No, but you, you, but you answered it. You, that's you knew where I was going. Well, if I'm going like to a really nice place, I will like, like the other day, um, we were speaking on our last podcast about the Franklin Room. I'm going to name names and say where I went because they was like, talk about us. Okay, cool. Um, I had a excellent drink. Um, I had an old fashioned. It was excellent. Um, wife, she got a... Um, Lemon drop because she's basic. <laughs> it was. It was. Hey, was it a good lemon drop? It was excellent. Well then, yeah. Who cares? It was. It was really, really good. Drink um, what you want. Basic yeah. drink is what you good. Want. Drink what you want. Drink what you want. Shout out to lemon drops. <laughs> basic. I can make. A, I can make a lemon drop. Look. Pretty good. Anyway, you that's anyway, not the bougie, point. Call her basic. I don't care. Yeah, that's not We're the point. We're also good. That's not the point. Point is, um, the full baby portions, and I said, and and. When I first went there, they tricked us to even get there because I got it just off open table because they had like thousand plus reviews. I said, oh, and they all good. Okay, I'll go here. And then they said, well, you can enter a contest to amp up. Um, you, you, you have a chance to win $500 if you get picked out of this pool of people who wrote up good 
um, reviews. I think I feel like I'm a decent writer. Um, point is, I wrote a review and I told the guy and I said, you can go tell the chefs. Food is great, but these portions are so mm-hmm. baby mm-hmm. that it's not cool. And I still took this dude like think 28% because it was 25 and he was so nice. He was, he was very cordial. He had some good stories to tell me everything else. And they brought us like some extra oysters. Point is I tipped them extra based off all the great service. Um, from the time I walked through the door to the time I walked out, everything was dope. Everything was great. Even though they had those baby portions of food that I wasn't really feeling. But you understand if you look at Yelp reviews, uh, which I don't want to derail this or talk about Yelp at all. Um, but if you look at reviews, somebody will be reviewing a product. And a good friend brought this up the other day. Cheers, y'all. Cheers. Like, can we just say fuck Yelp and just like fuck yeah, Yelp blanket? I mean, I mean, finish your story. Oh, like, Yelp stinks. Yelp is bad. They're never going to be a sponsor of Home Method, though. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. Sorry. I think what we everything we've talked about, we've sort of covered um, some inequities in our business, um, some major glaring flaws in the service industry in general. Um, I think we have presented the fact that it's, in terms of a valid way to make a living, it's physically and emotionally taxing um, beyond what we're doing for a living. Uh, I think we can all agree that service industry works under a culture of fear that is inappropriate and unhealthy. That being said, I think we can start, we can end this by saying we're, we're living under this culture. We're living in, I think I used the phrase pressure cooker before. So what are the solutions? How do we, how do we, how do we fix this culture from within? So hallmarks of this culture, here's what happens. Lord of the Flies mentality, us versus them, guests versus workers, mm-hmm. front of the house versus, versus back, back of the house, house. Um, survival of the fittest, Too unhealthy competition. competition. I will come to work with a torn ACL because I'm scared yep. I'm going to lose my job. Yep. But it's also, and I hate to use the word macho out of context because I feel like it requires a better explanation, mm-hmm. but it's the closest to what I mean. Um, I will kill myself to do this job. I will choose to do that. I'm, I will I'm sacrifice a... time with family, friends, because it, that is a way that I can gain respect in the business, um, creates more instability, and the way that is validated within, within the business itself and by all sorts of pop culture, all sorts of things, just it continues, you know? Let me tell you what I won't do. So, I own Skyder. Skyder's mine. Skyder.com. Skyder even came back to me and said, you sure you want to keep Skyder? I said, yeah. yeah, I want to keep Skyder. So Skyder is something that I own. And I won't take this from you all, but I'm going to give this to you. And you can get it before the podcast come out. Toxic hospitality. Instead of toxic masculinity. And toxic I think toxic hospitality is the right, yeah. Okay. That's, that's yours. Yeah. That's, my that's all yours. Thank that's you. That's my gift to you. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> with that being said, we're going to get into this next episode. So, please, with this episode, let us know what we could do better, what we could do worse. Well, we could always do worse, but what we could do better. Please reach out to us. Let us know what you would like to hear about next. What libation should we dive into next? Um, comment, please, ask questions, anything at all. And you can always reach us at... Designated Drinkers Podcast at gmail.com. And we're on Instagram at the Designated Drinkers Podcast. 
and Twitter at Drinkers Podcast, Facebook. Damn it. That's you. <laughs> the T H E E O H G E E D E E D E E. The O G D D. Two E's. Yep. And our website, designateddrinkerspodcast.com. Photos, booze, cocktails, articles. All that fun stuff. Until you hear the next episode, we're going to leave you with this one. So thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you later. Bye.